May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Their need to pray always. I wonder how many of us pray always and how many of us lose heart. And when we do pray, I wonder what it is we pray about. Jesus goes on to tell a story about a judge who neither fears God nor has respect for people. That reminds me of another phrase that Jesus used in other places in Luke's Gospel about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and body and loving your neighbour as yourself. And certainly this judge did not love God with all his heart and soul and body and mind and didn't love his neighbour as himself. And some would suggest that that neither fears God nor has respect for people or loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and loving your neighbour as yourself is the definition of justice. And there's a widow. And in Jesus' world, if you were a widow, life got incredibly hard. Unless there was a man in your life, a husband, a son or a brother, someone who could look after you, Well, life, you just became a non-person. And if you were poor, and most people were poor, like 90%, then your life expectancy became much, much shorter. And so we have a judge who's not good at giving justice, and a widow who comes to him and pesters him with her complaint. Grant me justice against my opponent. And the judge neither fears God nor respects people. He is unjust, and so he refuses to act. But she keeps coming back. The Greek says she beats him black and blue. The word used to pester him is actually beat him black and blue. It's not just like a whining child. This is a beating, beating, beating. And in the end, he eventually relents just to stop her coming. And Jesus continues, Do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people, who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will. He will not drag his feet. And he finishes with, But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? Now all of that seems pretty straightforward. We are to pray continually and God will act. Except the problem is, if you think about it, if God is acting, why do I need to keep praying continuously? Because surely the thing that I'm praying continuously for, God has acted on. And, well, what is it that I'm supposed to be praying for? And what is it that I hope will happen when I do pray? And what is it that God hopes will happen when I pray? So let's spend a moment or two thinking about some of those questions. The first one 
Why pray unceasingly? Sometimes I think we see ourselves in the story as the widow, nagging God with our requests. And in fact, one or two of the commentaries commented on that. Is God the unjust judge? That just doesn't seem right, does it? God is not an unjust judge. And yet, sometimes when you read the story, it feels like we're the nagging widows and God is the unjust judge. And we have to keep nagging God, praying continuously, so that God will act. But that doesn't feel right, really, because well, God is not the unjust judge. Elsewhere in Luke's Gospel, Jesus acts out and talks about God's deep and passionate love for all people. So, why do we need to pray unceasingly? If God will act, why can't we just ask once and be done with it? Maybe it's because it's not God that needs our nagging, but us. We need our nagging. What on earth do I mean by that? A few years ago, I went mountain biking. I do cycle, but I don't do mountain biking. I'm too old for that kind of carry-on. There's too much danger of falling off and hurting yourself. There's enough danger on the road of falling off and hurting yourself, to be honest. And uh, because I hadn't done very much mountain biking, we went with a group with a leader, and he gave us a little bit of a rundown on how one should mountain bike. And one of the things that he told us that has stuck with me is that when you're on a bike, you have to look where you're going because you will go where you're looking, which means if you're crossing a bridge and you look down the side, there's a very good chance that's where you'll go. So you don't look down the side of the bridge, you look ahead to the next bend. And when you're going around that bend, you don't look at the bend you're on, you look ahead to the next bend. You're always looking ahead to what's ahead, not where you are, because you will go to where you are looking. It's actually a good life lesson. Actually, one of the, the book I read about business practice said exactly the same thing. You go where you look, so you have to be careful where you're looking, because if your aim is too, too close, if it's too narrow, then your business won't thrive. So... We go where we look. In fact, all around Victoria, there are signs for motorcyclists saying exactly that. You will go where you look. Well, I suspect our prayer directs where we look. I mean, initially we pray for what we're looking at, don't we? What concerns us. We pray about the things and the people who deeply concern us. And sometimes... Sometimes we pray for things that we're not particularly concerned about, don't care that much about, but we just kind of feel like we should. Or, if you've got the liturgy, we end up praying for the world, which directs our attention to the world and what's going on in that world. I remember a friend of mine who was a Baptist minister came and worked for the Anglicans as a youth um, facilitator for a diocese and the diocesan office used to meet for prayers every morning and he was astounded that Anglicans prayed for the world. 
He said in all his life as a Baptist minister, they had never done that. They might have prayed for their church and they might have prayed for their community and they prayed for individuals, but they had never prayed for the world. It had never occurred to him to pray for the world. The more we pray for something, the more we look at it, the more we go there, the more those things become important to us. So prayer isn't about nagging God. God doesn't need us to nag. I don't actually think God even needs us to pray, to be honest. We need to pray. We need to nag. It's about us learning to look. The more we pray for something, the more important that thing will become for us. The more time we will give it, the more we will look to it, the more we will become God's agents in that situation. When we pray without stopping, or even when we probably like you and I, well, me anyway, we do stop, we don't pray continuously, but even when we pray as much as we pray, we are slowly changed by our prayer. Our priorities change. What is important to us changes. The way we see the world changes. So prayer isn't being like the widow nagging God. Prayer is being like the widow nagging ourselves. Nagging ourselves to pay real attention to what we are praying about. So in that way, we're kind of like the unjust judge. Not fearing God and not respecting others, although we're not quite as bad as the unjust judge. But in prayer, we learn to love God by loving our neighbours as ourselves. So what are we praying for? That's a big question. In this story, the persistent faith of the widow was her expectation of justice. That justice would be given her. So what is justice? Well, some of the commentators said justice can be defined as, in this story, when God is fear, feared and people are respected. Or when we love God with all our heart and soul and mind. And when our neighbour is loved as we are loved. A lot of the people I read about this passage suggested that our incessant prayer is to be about justice, from this story anyway. It's not about us, but it's to be about all those who need justice in our, in our lives, in our city, in our country, in our world. Our prayer is to be about the widows of this world. And we are to be like the widow, beating down God with our demands for justice so that we might go to those places of justice. And in doing so, learning to be like the widow, beating down the powers of our time that do not fear God and do not respect others. So what are the issues of justice that need our incessant prayer today? Prayer to God that leads to action. Well, there are a number. 
my notes here say rant about housing. And that came about because, well, a few weeks ago, I, uh, while I was on sick leave, attended the cross-party hearings on homelessness in the city. And I guess my d- disappointment was that our government decided not to be part of those, have incessantly said, we've got it under control. It's all good. It's all good, and it's just an Auckland problem, and we have it under control. But as I sat in that cross-party hearing, it was clear they don't have it under control, and that it's a real issue. See, part of the problem is that property houses have just risen extraordinarily high. And that's led to two things. The first is that some um, land um, property owners have sold, and so they've just cut and lost, which is fair enough, you can do that. And people who have been in those long-term rental situations have suddenly found themselves out because the new landlords have said, we don't want you. And the second thing that's happened is rents have risen extraordinarily. Every year when we come around to the rent reviews for St Francis Shelter and the Vicarage, the property manager says, you can put the new rental up to this level. And for the last couple of years, we haven't done anything on St Francis Shelter. We've said those people could not afford a rent rise. But when there was a change, we did put the rents up in the vicarage. But what happens when that happens is that suddenly people find they can't afford the rent anymore. And so we heard from a nice person, retiree, who had been in low-income jobs all her life, was in a nice rental, warm, comfortable, and suddenly her rent was too high. It was a choice of food or rent. So she had to leave. And all the rental that's available for her now in her price range are cold and damp and just not appropriate. So she's living in her car waiting for something that's affordable. Or if the colour, a whole lot, even which people can afford the rent, if your colour's not right or if you have too many kids or you have pets or any number of reasons, because there are so many people looking for rental accommodation, they end up down the bottom of the list. They end up in cars or living with their families or friends or in garages. Now, the Prime Minister helpfully suggested that those people go and see the Ministry of Social Development and they'll go on the housing list. The trouble is the Ministry of Social Development says that if you're squeezed in with another family or living in a garage, you're technically not homeless. So not eligible for emergency housing. The only way you can get emergency housing is to literally be in a car with no home. And so we heard in those cross-party things, not only from people who were homeless, but also from the midwives who have to go on and work with mothers who are in incredibly stressful situations and work with them to give birth to a baby into those situations, living in crowded houses, living in garages, living in cars. We listen to the social workers working in those situations. We listen to principals and school teachers talking about the effect of that on the children. It's not okay. The current policies aren't working. The situation is getting worse. So that's an issue that all of us should be concerned about. And so this week I was deeply disappointed by the reaction of two of our government ministers, one of whom just said, we have it under control, it's all good, we might have a look at the report, but actually we've got it under control. Now, 
She wasn't part of those hearings. She didn't hear the real stories. Her advice comes from ministry officials in Wellington who live in nice, warm, comfortable houses who, again, have no personal experience of what's really happening. And then we had another government minister saying there's no poverty in this country, just the poverty of parenting, which is an outrageous thing to say. Just outrageous. There is no evidence for that comment. Not from her own departments, not from the Ministry of Social Development, not internationally. So what's our role? Well, our role is to pray about that. But our role is also to beat down the doors. I know some of you are National Party members and National Party supporters. Your role is to work with your party, to take that seriously. To actually say, this is a real issue. You can't just keep saying we have it under control. And others of you belong to Labour and the Greens and the Māori Party. And your role is to, is to keep those parties on this issue and to not just politic about it, not just a vote catch, but actually to work to find real solutions. We have over 40,000 people in this country homeless. That's an appalling number. All of us need to be involved in that. And it starts with praying incessantly. So what are the issues that you need to pray incessantly about and to follow the example of the widow? Just let you for a moment to think about that. And we'll skip the creed. Oh, actually, we'll do the creed, because I think the creed is a creed about a God who cares 